Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and joining me for his second appearance on the podcast is Taylor Silva. Taylor, what's going on? What's up, David? Thanks for having me back on. Of course. And so we know Taylor is from his first appearance, college football junkie, experienced, loves Alabama football. And we had to have him on to talk about the crazy last weekend in college football and just hopefully the chaos that's going to unfold in in the next month or so. So just jumping right into it, game of the decade, I called it last week, LSU-Alabama. Taylor was actually at the game, so kind of just tell us a little bit about what happened at the game and just the, the vibe there. Man, I was the game was awesome. Honestly, it was awesome atmosphere. I've, I'm honestly, I haven't heard Brian Denny like that in a while. It was uh, I've never seen Tuscaloosa that packed before. The quad, everything pre-game, and I mean it was it was unbelievable. And the game lived up to it. I thought it was two amazing offenses. Two, I mean Heisman top pick quarterbacks, and they. Uh, I thought they both showed up. There was a uh, you just just watching the game. I mean, I thought. I mean, you could see just how. I mean, how good both two teams were. There was speed all over the field. You could see. I mean, you could see the NFL bodies. I mean, right now. I mean, it was. It was incredible. There was there was so many so many good players. So many people breaking out for the first time. Like Clyde Edwards-Helaire, LSU's running back, and Najee Harris had a great game too. I think he made him a lot of money in that game. Uh, it was just it was awesome to see in person. Yeah, when, when, when you talk about just the speed on the field, the one play that stuck out to me was Alabama was down, I think it was the second or the third quarter, and they like fake look over to the sideline to do the audible, and all of LSU's defensive backs look over for maybe half a second, and they snap the ball, and it was already over, like just touchdown yeah. pass, like literally just a half a second, and the... Alabama's offense is just so fast that it doesn't matter. Just that half-second difference is just, it was over. That really stuck out to me. And what really stuck out to me was this was Joe Burrow's moment. And he really lived up to it. Like, he played great against Texas earlier in the year. He played really well against Auburn. But it was like when they got the ball back in the fourth quarter, Usually we're thinking, all right, Alabama, Nick Saban, they're going to get a stop and get the ball back. But I thought Joe Burrow was going to just lead him down for another touchdown. <laughs> he was he, he was he was extremely impressive. I thought he he definitely had his Heisman moment. Uh, there were so many. I mean, just just seeing the confidence, even I mean, with uh, Joe Brady calling the plays. I mean, he probably called six, seven QB draws for Joe Burrow, and Burrow made the most of it every time. He was making people miss. Uh, he had multiple third down conversions that were just unbelievable. And I mean, I, I counted. I rewatched the game again last night. And I counted. I mean, a good a good five or six, seven, just unbelievable NFL throws. Back shoulder, uh, throwing through the middle. Not afraid of the linebacker stepping up in the pocket. It was, it was very impressive. Yeah, I mean, he was thirty-one for thirty-nine. I think he completed his first like twelve or fourteen passes, something crazy like that. Almost had yep. four hundred yards, three touchdowns, no interception. And you talk about him on the ground. 
He had 64 yards on the ground. He doesn't look like a runner, but he he's like a smart runner. Like he gets the draws. He knows exactly where to go. He has a sense of where the first down marker is. Like he's just he's not going to blow by you. And you think of like a Robert Griffin the third like read option, take it to the house for 80 yards. He's just going to like, he's going to get his nine yards. He's going to get down. Wish he slid a little more, but, you know, <laughs> that's something that the NFL teams will be able to work on. Yeah. But he was, yeah, he was awesome. And you just have to think, like, of all the, the great LSU uh, receivers in years past Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, uh, talk about running backs like Leonard Fournette. Don't you kind of wish that they had Coach Brady calling the plays for them? Oh, that that would have been un- <laughs> that would have been unreal, honestly. But I mean, these these receivers now, these guys are going to be playing in the league too. And they, I mean, Jamar Chase is going to be one of the one of the biggest wanted receivers next year when he comes out for the draft. I think he's going to be a high high pick. I mean, and he I thought he showed it this weekend. He showed it all year long. But uh, same with Justin Jefferson, Terrence Marshall, Thaddeus Moss, the tight end, had a hell of a catch and at the. Uh, I think it was the second quarter when he dragged those toes that yeah. you know it could have, it could have been the illegal touching, but for some reason they confirmed that call. I don't, I don't really <laughs> understand that, but that's another that's another day, I guess. But but yeah, just I mean, there's you could see it. I mean, these guys, I mean, these guys can play, and I mean they're they're five stars too, just like Alabama, and not many people really knew about them coming into the year. Yeah, so so switching over to to Alabama, Tua, he played. When, when you just look at the stats, he had his completion percentage wasn't great, but he still had over four hundred yards, four touchdowns. But he had that ankle surgery a couple, two or three weeks before before the game. Did he look one hundred percent healthy live? No, I don't. I definitely don't think he was one hundred percent. But I mean, even just, I mean, he had surgery two weeks before that game. I mean, it was. Uh, I thought he played amazing, too. The stats yeah. don't really show it if you look at the box score only. But, I mean, to have surgery 10, 14 days before and still be able to move as much as he did because that LSU pressure was unbelievable, too. I mean, they had, uh, Dave Aranda was calling up blitz. I mean, I'd probably say at least 65, 60% of the time. It was, it was, he was coming after Tua. And I thought Tua did a really, really good job for what, for what he had endured a couple weeks before. And what, what's amazing about it is, like, I've never even heard of that type of surgery. And he's done it twice now, like the high ankle sprain, like, surgery, where he's back yep. in two or threes. I guess that's just a, a Tuscaloosa special. Yeah, I, I, it's it's weird. I think Jalen Hurts had it last year. It, I'm pretty sure it was last year. It might have been the year before. I can't remember. But it was uh, it's something they do. I, I don't know too much about it exactly, but. I listened to a couple NFL podcasts and uh, Dr. Chow. Uh, he he was very skeptical of it for sure. He, uh, something NFL teams are not used to. They're not not they they don't really do that. But I, I thought you could see too. He was probably what seventy five percent. He still played unbelievable. Yeah. He made so many NFL throws too that you could just I mean jaw dropping. So. The receivers also really came to play. Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devonta Smith. It was yeah. the the receivers for Alabama proved that they deserved all the hype. Like 
as, as you said, like the LSU guys kind of came out and reminded everyone, like, hey, we're really good too. And mm-hmm. and the Bama guys were like fighting back, like, no, we're we're actually still the best. And it was hard yep. to it was hard to pick out in just in this game who who you thought like the best one was. I thought, uh, I mean, Devontae Smith, he, he had a he had a great game, honestly. And he was going up against Derek Stingley Jr., who's, I mean, pro, uh, PFF uh, graded him as the number one corner this year in the SEC. And he's, I mean, he's 18 years old. He's a true freshman. Yeah. So going against the SEC leader in interceptions, I thought he, honestly, he, he played really, really well. There was multiple slant routes that, I mean, Stingley, Stingley was way off of him. He, he couldn't really do anything. And then, like you said earlier, he had that deep ball that he just blew by Stingley. And then right at the end of the game, first play, after uh, LSU scored, like, I think, like a minute 30 left in the game, he just blew by blew by Stingley again. So he was he had a really good game. I thought uh, Judy dropped, I think, two touchdown passes, but he made up for one later in the game. So he kind of – he did okay, but Christian Fulton was all over him. He's, I mean, yeah. those are two, two top first-round picks right there this upcoming draft that we're battling against each other. And it was, it was honestly, I was, that was, those were the matchups I was looking forward to going into this game. And they, they definitely, definitely provided. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing when, when I'm looking ahead as, okay, NFL drafts coming up top 10 picks. There's a chance like half of them played on played in this game. Cause you have Burrow yep. and Tua <laughs> who will be drafted probably very high just cause they're quarterbacks. You got to think Grant Delpit will go pretty high. Mm-hmm. The LSU safety, who I thought played pretty well. Uh, I thought he did too, yeah. Then, he, was hurt. he was banged up as well. Mm-hmm. Then then obviously you got Jerry Judy, who will probably be picked high. And then, as you mentioned, like a couple of these these LSU guys might sneak into the end of the first round, and there's probably some offensive lineman at both of these schools who's ginormous and is an NFL player, but just we're just forgetting to, to talk about because they don't catch touchdowns. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So just so, a, so now just ahead, so now just moving forward. LSU obviously is the best team in in the country. They're number one. Where does Alabama go from here in terms of their playoff hopes? I think Bama's still alive. They uh, they really. I mean, not. Not what Bama fans want to hear, but they, they they really need Auburn to win this weekend against Georgia. I think that is a crucial game for them. Yep. It's uh it's gonna be pretty tough if if Georgia wins out and then if they lose a close game to LSU in the SEC championship, it's gonna be it's gonna be a toss up for that fifth spot. But I I don't know. I'd, it's gonna be tough for them. Seriously, they 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 gotta they just need to do their job right now. That's all they can hope for, and hope for some more chaos. For sure, and. It's it's interesting too because people always talk about like strength of schedule and how that's a thing that the committee is looking at. But when I when I look at it, it's you know should Alabama get blamed because their side of the SEC like in the SEC West it's it's not that great the the bottom like okay they're winning by fifty like is it their fault that the other teams just aren't good enough? Yep. So it's uh yeah uh they. It really hurt this year. I think the Duke game that hurt pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, they were kind of. I think back when they scheduled it, they were probably hoping Daniel Jones would still be here, and it would be a little more exciting of a game. But it was. I think that game really, really hurt the schedule. Yeah. So just you've been in locker rooms after big wins. 
at at Alabama. What is what is Nick Saban like after a after a big loss like this? Uh, I, I, he was probably more upset with how many penalties in the game there were, and uh, I, I saw that they uh, after after like a couple of days later their their staff grad grades like their tackles and everything. And I saw they graded twenty five missed tackles, so he was probably more upset about that. But he he won't be you know yelling too much in the locker room or anything. It's kind of it's just I don't know. It's it's a very emotional game. This this rivalry, so it's you know he, he probably would kind of just let the players go on. They'll, they'll watch the film, learn more. It'll just be you know just you got to do your job, do everything you can to do your job as best as you can, and that's that's kind of what he'll continue to preach. Well, the well the twenty five missed tackles would would be like an average week for for my New York Giants. So it's <laughs> it's an unexpected thing for Alabama, but when you're used to it, it's oh, that's actually not that bad. But but you know, moving on because there's other parts of the country that are playing really good football, not just down Alabama and uh, Louisiana, yep. Minnesota. Coach PJ Fleck, like just where do they come from? Uh, they. They were kind of projected to have a little better year this year, but I uh, don't think anybody was seeing them going 9-0 for sure to start the season. That was that was probably their biggest win. I mean, last week, Penn State, that was an awesome game. Their quarterback, Tanner, Tanner Morgan, threw for, I mean, he had 90 completion percentage, 90%, 18 of 20 for 339 yards and three touchdowns. So it's when you have your game year to life and your coaches, I mean, I believe in P.J. Fleck, they, they – they're rolling right now. And when and when you just look at their schedule, you know, they play South Dakota State, win by one touchdown. They play Fresno State, win by three. Georgia Southern, they win by three. So going into the Big Ten play, you're like, okay, they're three and oh, but are but like they're not beating up on the teams that they should be beating up on. And then Exactly. And then they beat up on Illinois, who's not very good. They crush Rutgers, who's not very good. They crush Maryland, who's not very good. So it's like, okay, like they're winning, but they haven't really played anyone yet. And to go out and beat Penn State like that and just have everyone rise to the moment was really, really impressive. Uh, it really was. It was, uh, I thought it was a great game by them. Great game plan. All their players played tremendous. They, uh, kind of looking back at it more, they, they more had big play scores instead of kind of just driving down the field. That's kind of what they, they seem like they're big, more of a big shot team and it, it paid off last week, honestly. It was, it was a great game to see. I, only, I was only able to see about a half of it before we had to go to the band of the game, but it was, it was very impressive. And Sean Clifford, the, the Penn State quarterback, didn't, didn't play great and just coming off like the Michigan game and just other games this season – he was definitely talked about. I remember I had Coach Sass on a bunch of weeks ago, and he said that he thought Penn State was really good, but he wasn't quite sure about Clifford as the quarterback. And it's so funny when, when you talk about these these great college football teams, it's still so much of it relies on just if your quarterback has a subpar game and, and turns the ball over a lot, you can get beat by, by anyone. Yeah, I think I'm in. That kind of showed in the Thursday night football game last night in the NFL. But I mean, it just it's uh, it's more it's 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 so much about the quarterback that people don't really see that it's. I mean, every decision he makes is so vital. And if you're turning over the ball pretty easy, that's not that's not what the teams 
it's not good for the team and it's not good for you personally. So Minnesota has they're at Iowa this week. Mm-hmm. Then they're at Northwestern and home to Wisconsin. They have a two-game lead in their side of the of the Big Ten standings. There's a chance that they're twelve and zero. Uh, yeah, there is. Uh, I think this week at Iowa is kind of a letdown spot, so yeah. I'll be kind of interested interested to see how they respond to that because this is. I mean, like I said, they probably came off their biggest win, and if not ever, I mean, the last fifty years for sure, and it's. I was no joke. They, I mean, they, they've got, <laughs> I think, the fourth best defense in the nation at points allowed a game at 11. And they've won four straight in the series versus Minnesota. So no Hawkeyes ever ever lost to a Gopher. So I, I think this is, it's going to be tougher than, than people think. And it's at Iowa, too. Yep. And it's not, not an easy place to play, for sure. No. So just, just in the Big Ten, so... Even if Minnesota drops one of these games, as long as they beat Wisconsin, they'll be mm-hmm. in the Big Ten championship. And that means that they'll probably play the second-best team in the country, Ohio State. And yeah, it's, if not the first-best team, too, with yeah, the I other mean, stats that they're showing so far. But. I mean, I think LSU is better just because of who they've played and, and who they've beaten, but Ohio State is definitely two. And yeah, I agree with you there. And Ohio State still has the big Michigan game, and they still get to play Penn State. So, while it doesn't seem like it, they could go one-on-one of those games because they're favored against Rutgers by 52 points on Sunday or Saturday. They might win by 70. Uh, (laughs) And it's just when they're home against Penn State and at Michigan. I don't think Penn State is fully out of it yet. Because if, because if they have a chance to beat Ohio State, yes, they'll have to do it on the road. But if they can beat Penn, if, if they can beat Ohio State, that means Penn State will be playing for the Big Ten championship. Then who knows what will happen if, with Ohio State and, and the playoff? Exactly. That's uh, yeah. Penn State they, they need to they need to forget about last week and they, they need to keep going because I mean they they like I said like you said they they still got a shot and. Uh, if they come to play and come to play against the Buckeyes, uh, I mean, they're right back in there. And and I think James Franklin is a great big game coach. I think he's uh, a, I, I think he's a great coach, and I think that he does his. I, I think he does really well in big games too. I know they just lost to Minnesota, but that was yeah, it was kind of a different different scenario there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I really like James Franklin. I think he's, he's done great. Uh, I've heard, I mean, just, you know, just rumors, but he, his name's in that for the, for the uh, USC job, but I mean, I doubt he'll ever leave, but he's, uh, I, I really like Franklin. I remember him back at Vandy and I was a big fan. So, so back to Minnesota for a second, PJ Fleck, let's say that they go 12 and 0, they win the big 10, they're 13 and 0 going to the playoff. Is he just guaranteed any job he wants? <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely. Yeah, the Trojans will probably be going after him. Uh, he'll he'll be getting some calls. I think he got that extension last week to like twenty twenty seven. But he's yeah, he's going to be getting some calls this offseason. Uh, I think. But we also know that that doesn't mean anything. the The extensions don't really mean yeah, anything. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when a big school calls, I mean, you, yeah, you're going to be going most likely. I think that the sleeper for him is is Michigan. 
Wow, I didn't even think about that. I could, yeah, that that would be wild. Because if, if what do you think? You think Harbaugh just retires, or well, I I mean mainly just because if they don't beat Ohio State again, like they could, like Michigan could still be a nine or ten win team at the end of the season with their bowl game. But if they don't beat Ohio State, I could just see just the outrage from the alumni and just the the boosters and and the students just forcing him out more so of just like due to unrealistic expectations than realizing, hey, we've actually won 10 games every year he's been here and we're on the cusp and we're one or two plays in every season away from being in the playoff. Like they were one drop pass away from beating Penn State on the road. They were a couple years ago a bad spot away from beating Ohio State and making the playoff. So it's like they're they're closer than people think. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. They, uh, this was definitely yeah, an off season. This was this was supposed to be their year for sure with uh, their, their wide receiver core that they have and Shea uh, Patterson. But Patterson's Patterson hasn't really looked that well. He's he's done better since uh, since the early game, but he's yeah, he's 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 struggled, and I, I think that's kind of hindered them a lot. Uh, play calling was kind of weird the first six games uh, it was just I don't know there's something going on that just it didn't really make sense to me but uh, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Harbaugh tried to try to get out of there well you know every team tries to replace off as a coordinator but no one can bring in coach Brady the way LSU has and have it work out yeah. so perfectly yeah you can you can see why coach O is trying to pay him NFL money to stay because yeah. I know I mean Arkansas I wouldn't be shocked if Florida State called him I mean that's I think people are going to be calling him for sure. And, I mean, he's another one of those young coaches up and coming that he's proven himself this year and shows why Sean Payton wanted him so bad last year, wanted uh, to stay with the Saints. Also, just side note about Florida State before we talk about, you know, the teams that, that matter for, for this season. <laughs> Did you see that, like, the boosters and the alumni put together, like they raised $25 million or something to fire Taggart? That. that that's crazy to me, honestly. I, I like Willie. I didn't, I mean, it was, it wasn't going, you know, the, the best, but I, I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good guy. And I, I was kind of shocked by that, honestly. There's, there's something going weird down there in that university, too. That's, I don't, I don't really understand why, why they're struggling so bad the past couple of years, but I mean, it's, it, there's really no excuse because, I mean, they, they can recruit just as well as anybody. Yeah, I think it's the should same. Should be able to. I think it's the same thing. I think it's the same unrealistic expectations as Michigan has. It's like, oh, my God, if we're not undefeated and winning national championships, everything's a failure. But, I mean, they, they should be able to. I mean, they should be able to at least compete with Clemson to me in, yeah. in, that, in that conference. It just it doesn't make sense. So, speaking of Clemson, perfect segue, Taylor. Speaking of Clemson, now, now we're into the college football playoff rankings. The second week of these... In case people didn't see it, it's LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, Georgia 4, Bama 5, Oregon 6. So, what are, what are we doing about Clemson? Because they were number 5 last week. They're 10-0. and 0. They'll probably win, be undefeated going into the playoff. No one can really compete with them in, in the ACC. Like... Obviously, they're going to be in, but it seems like the committee is begrudgingly putting them in. Yeah, it seems like they're kind of that first uh, two or last week's rankings. It seemed like they kind of like punished them a little bit for just 
not really play anybody. And I mean, it's not it's not their fault. I mean, the I mean they played A and M in the non conference, but it's not their fault that their conference is is that bad right now. Or that A and M, it's ever you know A and M got a lot of hype going into the season, and the same yeah. thing because Alabama played them too. They 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 got a lot of hype. It's okay. They just weren't very good. Exactly. Yeah, they they weren't ready for this, and Kellen Mond took a step back too. I I, I don't know what's going on there, but uh, they yeah they they had I think the toughest schedule, if not the second toughest in the nation, and yeah, it, this is kind of what I predicted for them, but it's. Yeah, it's not 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 a good resume builder, especially. And so, if you're, and and, and if you're Clemson, and you pl- you are so happy and just counting your your lucky stars that North Carolina missed that two point conversion, because if North Carolina was able to beat Clemson, I don't think Clemson would have a chance at at, at the playoff, even if they not won yet. the the ACC, which is crazy to to think about. Yeah, I think if they, yeah, if, if Matt, if they would have converted that two point conversion, they they would not be in the playoff this year. But since then, since that uh, two point conversion, they've outscored opponents two hundred and sixty three to fifty five. So they they've they've turned something around because they had the bye week right after the, the North Carolina game, and something they're they're starting to they're starting to play now. And it's I wouldn't count Clemson out at all. Wouldn't shock me at all if they were back holding that trophy. It seems they seem to be looked at this year kind of like the way Notre Dame is, where if Notre Dame kind of has to be undefeated to get a chance at, at the playoff, and it feels like Clemson is now in that boat, and I don't think that it's completely fair for that, but because they're playing major Power Five college football, but I think if they're if if, if they lose that and still outscored people the, with the number you, you just said. But they were just nine and one. I still think that they wouldn't get over six or five. Yeah, I don't think they would either. And it's it's kind of crazy that they're kind of they're looking at them like that. I mean, they are. I mean, the reigning champs right now, and they've been there the past past few years, just like Alabama has. So I don't understand why they're not getting the credit that Bama is. I mean, it's, it's obviously the conferences, but still, it's. I mean, Clemson's still Clemson. They're. I mean, they're going to be coming. So. And so they have Wake Forest this week at home, and then they're at South Carolina. South Carolina beat Georgia earlier this year, right? So that could be that could be a sneaky trap game where South Carolina, South Carolina clearly isn't afraid of playing the big dogs because I think that they'll get by Wake this week. But yeah, that that's that Georgia lost South Carolina was kind of kind of weird if you didn't really I mean I think Fromm had four picks or something and I mean they still only lost by field goal and double overtime I think Rodrigo Blankenship missed like two or three field goals and I mean he's been money for his whole college career so it's I don't know that, that game was just kind of set up to fail for Georgia that was that was very weird but I I, I don't see it for Clemson this this is their rivalry game and that's I think they'll probably come out and show out in Columbia for sure I mean, I definitely think I definitely think Clemson's going to win, but yeah. I don't. But I don't think South Carolina will be afraid of them. No, I, I, I agree. Uh, they definitely they'll, they'll play as best as they can, but I, I I think Clemson will probably smack them. Honestly. Yeah. So just with the playoff, looking at it, the committee did something very interesting with the Pac-12. Oregon is six, Utah is seven. 
they're kind of neck and neck of if they're a one-loss conference champion, should we be talking about them? Maybe instead of two SEC teams, we'll get the one-loss conference champion in there. I think their their only shot is Oregon. I, I think if Utah beats Oregon in the Pac-12 championship and they're 12-1, and one, I don't think they're going to make it with uh-huh. that USC loss. Yeah. But I, it's, I mean... I think Oregon's the only shot, and it's still it's tough because I mean, I mean everybody says that they they had that game won against Auburn, and you know Auburn only won the last nine seconds, but that that to me makes it sound even worse. I mean, yeah. You've dominated the entire game, and you still can't pull it out. Like, I mean that's that's more on you, and that's what the fourth, maybe fifth best SEC team. So I think if you play one of the top two or three, then it's it might be a different story. Yeah, and it doesn't help that Washington is kind of taking a step back this year from expectations either because I thought that that was a good win in the moment when they beat Washington at Washington. Was, but, yeah, uh, I was the same way. But Eason, yeah, Eason stepped back too this year. I, that's it's kind of wild. With, I mean, with uh, Doug Peterson, I mean, uh, Chris Peterson, the yeah. coach. I mean, I, I'm kind of shocked by how that's happened. So, I was a big fan of Eason. So personally – I think that the best matchup for the playoff would be the two SEC teams, but I think that the committee is in a is in a tough spot because really you could say three of the five best teams are the SEC, Clemson, Georgia, LSU, but it's it's also are they rewarding the winning the conference because that's a that's a big deal too. Yep, uh, we're 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 on the verge this year of it. Starting to expand or playoff talk probably to start expanding. It's uh, you know, the Pac 12's dying, they're, they're dying to get a Pac 12 team back in there, and this year it's showing. I mean, it's uh, with LSU, Georgia, and Bama. I mean, that's I mean, you can kind of take your pick there, but it's I mean, I think I think we're on the verge of it expanding to eight, and then if that happened, you'd get your I mean, right now you'd have your two Pac 12s in, and you'd have. Minnesota with PJ Fleck at number eight, so that's what I think we're on a collision course toward that. I, I personally don't like it, but it'll be you know it'll make it'll make football I guess a little more exciting. I don't know if the games will be that good because to me there's kind of a, a drop off from about you know five to six or six to nine, six to ten. I mean it's just like I just I, I'm not really sure. So. Speaking of the game of what I think is the game of the weekend, two teams on the way outside looking in, as you mentioned, probably a step down from the elite elite in control, but still very good teams. And kind of talked about before, if one of these teams, if they win their conference, they're going to be in the conversation. Oklahoma Baylor's this weekend. Now, some people may be saying Baylor, like. How does that make it the game? Well, they're nine and zero. They're kind of like Minnesota, a shocking nine and zero team, who now has a chance to play against one of the big boys. And I'm very excited for it. It is at Baylor, which I think is a interesting twist to this game. And I don't know. It's kind of fun having a packed uh, a Big Twelve game on in prime time because there's going to be a lot of points hopefully probably it'll be it'll be Jalen Hurts in prime time again and I don't know it's kind of nice having 
competition in that conference instead of just hoping and praying that that Texas is back. Yep, uh, I'm I'm really excited for the game. We've got pretty good. I mean, a couple of good games this weekend, and kind of just the time slots add up perfectly where you just run one into another. So yeah. I'm very excited for this game. Uh, Baylor Baylor's look well. They they're they've got a couple of DBs that are pretty good. That nobody I mean nobody really talks about uh, Charlie Brewer, their quarterback. He's played really well. Um, I'm a big fan. They they they've played well this year, and we'll see. We'll see their biggest game of the year against Jalen and uh, Lincoln Riley. We'll see what they can do. For sure. And last college football question before we move on to the NFL. What is, from from just a team's perspective, you were obviously at Alabama when the playoff system came out. How do, mm-hmm. how do these teams really view the playoff standings when it's still this early? Like, obviously, you want to be in. But it's really just as long as you're in the last one, that's all that matters. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it means that much right now. I mean, some teams it might, but when we're at Bama, it didn't really. I mean, we, I mean, players would, you know, it would be on in the locker room and stuff, but the coaches never really noticed it that much. They, I mean, they're just trying to, you know, just prepare for the next opponent. And as long as you, you know, their, their mindset was always, as long as we do our, our job and, control what we can control then you know we, we should have a shot at the end and it's, it's worked out pretty well for Bama for sure because that's what it seems like it seems like the teams that are a surprise top four entry seemingly always lose the next week like I remember when Mississippi State was number one one year and then they lost the next week and yeah I think that that year's state was one Auburn was two and Ole Miss was four yeah so was, I think Florida State was three back then too yeah. even crazy to think about now Oh my God! But it just, it just seemed like the the programs that really cared about it being ranked one or two in week three always had a huge letdown and were more likely to get upset. And then the teams who realize that the polls don't mean much and all that matters is just the last one that that they're the ones who are the most successful of just staying in that playoff hunt. But exactly. But moving on to the professional levels. We're recording this on Friday morning, November 15th, and there was a pretty boring first 59 minutes and I'd say 45 seconds of football last night in the NFL. Brown Steelers, Mason Rudolph threw a bunch of interceptions, hard to keep track because he probably should have thrown way more for the Steelers. Baker didn't really play that well either. Like he's, I've never seen a more highly touted quarterback overthrow his guys consistently by more than 12 feet more than Baker Mayfield oh yeah I don't I mean Baker Baker is regressed to me I mean I, I was looking at stats yesterday before the game and it was he was bottom he was the second worst completion percentage in the league he's second worst in interceptions this year behind Jameis uh I think he's completing 57, 59% of his passes. It's not including last night's game, but I mean, it's, I don't, I don't understand. It's, I mean, obviously it's the O-line, but there's, I mean, you gotta, I mean, if you're a number one pick, there's, you don't have many excuses for being that inaccurate when you were an accurate quarterback back in college. Exactly. Like the thing about Baker was that was going to satisfy all the concerns about his, his, his height was that he was an accurate thrower of the football. Exactly. And when you watch him, like, 
he's not throwing to these subpar NFL receivers. He has Odell Beckham. He has Jarvis Landry. Like, it's hard to miss Odell Beckham by as much as he's missing him by. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. He's, his offensive weapons are absurd. You know, they got Kareem Hunt, so it seems like they're, I mean, they're fitting him in. Seamlessly, he's, he's he's doing really well, and he's I mean he's getting 15, 12, 15 touches a game too. So I, I I don't really understand. I mean, I don't think the Browns are very good. I don't think the Steelers are very good. Like this was just a bad football team versus a bad football team. Yes, this, the Browns won by two touchdowns, but the score did not reflect the game in a way. No. If that makes any the Browns sense. Kept, yeah, the Browns kept momentum all night. I mean, they, they could have easily, easily won that game early and put it away. But that Stewart's D just kept them in it, and Mason Rudolph couldn't do anything. So, And then we have to mention the last 15 seconds. Mason Rudolph gets hit by Miles Garrett. I guess he didn't like that he got hit or that there was no flag. He started reaching up, I guess, for Garrett's helmet, not realizing he was a quarterback. Garrett responded by ripping off Rudolph's helmet from his face and then smacking him over the head with it. And then he proceeded to get tackled and kicked and punched by, I think it was Marquise Pouncey and David DeCastro, the Steelers' offensive lineman, protecting their quarterback. And the last 10 seconds turned this all-out melee on the field and just a really, really ugly look for both teams, the NFL, and just all the players involved. Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Uh, that's not, that's not football. That's not what we want this game to be about. I was, I was in shock last night watching that. I was, I couldn't believe that happened, and I, I, I will be shocked if if uh, Miles Garrett's not suspended for the rest of the year. I will be very shocked. Well, you think he he should be, but then also when Odell Beckham went in with his head and crowned Josh Norman. He only got a one-game suspension. So I think it's different that he crowned him with the helmet with just to Rudolph's bare head. But I don't know. With with the NFL and, and suspensions, it's it's always... It's up in the air. You never really know yeah. exactly what's what's going on. And yeah, I think that's, that's something they're probably not excited to be discussing this morning in New York. I can tell you that. Oh, yeah. So... Going looking ahead to this weekend, I think there's three marquee games. You got the Pats and the Eagles, number one. And I think that the Pats will win, but this is just another example. If their schedule is getting harder, they obviously lose to the Ravens last or two weeks ago because they were on a bye last week. They're still eight and one, but this is a chance to get revenge for the Super Bowl. But I'm interested to see like how do the Pats respond to the Ravens' loss and competing against a good team again? Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I think they'll, I think they'll bounce back. The, the Ravens, the Ravens came to play. You could tell that they were, they were, they weren't going to lose that game. They, they showed up, and it, it could have been a lot worse than it was without that, uh, without that fumble on the punt. But uh, New England, New England needs to show. They're, they're to me. They've, I mean, I hate saying this. I mean, it's weird even hearing it about Tom Brady, but. The, the New England offense to me looks very, very average. They 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 need some more skill positions. It just it doesn't. I, I don't know. I'm not. I think it's that defense is helping them out so much right now, and it's it's just it's not something you I'd say for sure with uh, with Tom Brady offense. But it just looks very average to me. 
Well, I mean, they, they lose Gronk going into the season. Then they obviously sign Antonio Brown, and then that doesn't work out. They let Josh Gordon go, who had two huge catches for Seattle on Monday night uh, in their win against the 49ers. You kind of maybe wonder, okay, maybe they shouldn't have cut Josh Gordon. But they just seem so reliant on Julian Edelman in those underneath quick throws. Because, you know, the one thing Brady can't do anymore is he can't really throw the deep ball the way that he used to. Which makes sense. He's 42 years old. And and, and I agree with you. The, the, the offensive line is, is the shaky part for me. Because last year they were able to run the ball so well that it kind of hid a lot of the concerns probably we all had in, in the passing game because they could run it with Sony Michelle really down people's throats. That That's just an element of the game that they haven't been able to really take advantage of this year because the offensive line isn't as good. And Gronk was a great blocker, and they don't have him. Yeah, they, uh, I definitely heard that uh, they're, they're missing Josh Gordon. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why they let him go, but I heard that locker room was not happy about that. That it kind of ruffled some fe- feathers. And, yeah, the O-line's been – they've been kind of beat up. I think they got, uh, they got that Georgia tackle back a couple weeks ago. But um, they 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 need to they need to protect him and find a way to get that run game going. Like you were saying, it's I mean it's you need something to set it up for the pass, and it's it's just I don't know. It's been very I'm just not very impressed so far with the offense to me. So they still have time. I I listened to the Chris Long Ryan Russell podcast, and Long obviously played for the Patriots, and he would always say Belichick would say that the season kind of starts now in the middle of November. So Mm -hmm. we'll see what that really means or if if that's just like a calling card or what that really means and what adjustments they make because even at 8-1, and their loss to the Ravens proved that their defense is more vulnerable and that they need to be able to score some points to play against these the elite of the AFC. And I mean they're 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 going to be going up against some tough defenses too. I mean they, they still got Buffalo again. Who I, I still love their defense. Uh, Dallas is Dallas, I mean Dallas Dallas is still getting a little better, but that's about it. But they yeah they got a chance for their offense to click. I mean they, they've got some they've got Cincinnati, Miami, and I mean still on the roster or still on the schedule, so they, they've got a chance to figure it out. But they, they something needs to happen for sure. So, next game, we just talked about the Ravens. Ravens-Texans, MVP battle between the quarterbacks of Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson. That's what makes me really excited about this game. It's that it's these two young, exciting, dynamic quarterbacks of the future battling it out. Wish this game was at prime time instead of the next game we're going to talk about. But, hey, I digress. I'm not a ratings expert. Uh, This game's at 425. I think this game is, is going to be really good. Yeah, I would, I would much rather watch Deshaun and Lamar instead of Trubisky. But maybe that's just me, and I guess that's why I'm talking on the podcast. Yep. But, uh, yeah, Baltimore, Baltimore's playing. Their they're, depth run game right now is they, – they, they just set that offense perfectly for Lamar. And it's the way they – I mean, everybody's bought into Lamar, and Lamar's just doing his thing, keeping his head low. I mean, you don't see him in commercials like Baker and all this. He's just – He's just still proving to everybody that, you know, you shouldn't have passed on him and he can actually play in the league. And 
I'm just I'm, kudos to Baltimore for setting their whole team up based on him, and it's it's paying off for them when everybody said it wouldn't. So, with the Texans too, the Texans' defense is solid, but they're not great, you know. Mm-hmm. So I could see this game being really high scoring. I could see Lamar. I could see Lamar putting up a lot of points again because he did, if, if, if he could do it against the Pats, he can do it against anyone. Yeah, I think the totals at fifty two for this game. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be high scoring as well. Uh, Deshaun Deshaun's incredible. I mean, I can't say enough. I mean, I've seen him in person. Beat me once when I was in college. So. <laughs> He's uh yeah he's he's something special and they this game's gonna be this game's gonna be pretty exciting to watch uh, I can't wait for one o'clock on Sunday and the and the guarantee from this game is that Bill O'Brien is gonna m- completely mismanage the clock he's gonna call all his timeouts when he doesn't have to and we're gonna come down to some big drive either in the first or second half where Watson's gonna have one or zero timeouts when he really should have three. And he's going to be forced to like run around the field and make crazy stuff happen, because that's basically a guarantee for the Texans every week. Because Bill O'Brien, I just don't understand how these guys who, I mean, O'Brien has won NFL football games. I just don't understand how they're so bad at t- clock and time management. It, it it makes no sense to me, honestly. I just I, I, I mean, as many times as he's shot them in the foot, like it, it's crazy. And Deshaun usually bails them out after he messes something up like that. But it's. I don't know how much longer they're going to be holding on to Bill because I mean they, this team seriously they they could they could be really really good and if yeah. JJ Watt was still hurt I mean still playing they they seriously they'd be contending in the AFC for sure and it just like all these teams now it's the get back coach is super popular McVay has one and the Niners defensive coordinator has one these these guys can't hire some dude from MIT or Caltech who just tells them when and just whose only job is to call timeouts? Yep. Like, I, just, <laughs> like I, I, got, I got no answer. I really don't understand it either. I'm watching it too, and it, just, it, it makes no sense to me. Like, if you're going to hire someone whose literally only job on Sundays is to hold your coach back, you can hire someone so, so, so that you don't get a penalty for the coach being on the field. You could hire someone to call the timeouts correctly because that impacts so many games but I digress moving on Sunday night football golf versus Trubisky this is a battle of two teams who probably wish that they had different quarterbacks yeah they I I wasn't a fan of Trubisky coming out of college and I was not a fan when the Bears traded up for him and I'm still not a fan today he's just He's not very good to me. He's very, very, very average. Uh, not a franchise quarterback. Doesn't have a zip on the ball. Looks, I mean, he, he, he panics too early. He looks like he checks one, maybe two reads, and then he's just out of the pocket. Uh, I believe Maggie's a great coach. I, I don't understand. I mean, why? I mean, he's doing that. I still, I mean, it's looked a little, little, little different from this year, from last year, the play calling and stuff. But I still think it's it's more on Trubisky. I just, I think it's time to move on. Uh, I think they probably should have. I'm glad the Saints didn't, but I, I think I think the Bears should have called for Teddy Bridgewater at the deadline. Um, and I, I think they they need to make they need to make a move soon because they they can't just be sitting on this defense right now. 
No, and and the thing about Trubisky is like he's so bad in certain games or in certain moments, and then he does what he does this past Sunday, and he makes just enough plays to be like, okay, like maybe we can win with him when he plays like this. Like he does just enough to to trick you, and then you just know that maybe it's not this Sunday, but in a Sunday coming up, he's going to lose the game because he's going to be two for 12 at halftime with eight yards. He's going to have more interceptions than completions in a game, and it's going to be it's going to be a, a disaster again. Yes, yeah, he, he's so just he's so hot cold, and it's uh, it's not not who I want to be, who I would want to be around my franchise. I think you just got to eat your loss, accept that you you, you missed on this pick, and you shouldn't trade it up for him. But I think it's time to move on. And if you're the I mean, and if you're the Rams, like, do they have a finance department or should we give them a financial advisor? Because they are spending so much money that it doesn't make sense. Because when because it's a football is a salary cap sport and they're treating it like baseball, giving golf like I think over 120 million dollars, giving Gurley a huge contract, giving Aaron Donald a huge contract. Donald deserves it, but then you bring in Jalen Ramsey, who's going to want a big contract too. It's do they understand that they have to fill out the rest of the roster with 45-plus guys now on small, smaller contracts? Yeah, I, I, I don't understand what's going on there. I mean, they're like, Gurley, Gurley, something's wrong with Gurley. And that's been shown ever since he, I mean, pretty much signed that contract. The O-line is not good. I mean, they, they got to make some moves there. But like you said, they got to, I mean, they still got to pay Ramsey, too, this offseason. So I, I, I don't understand what's, I mean... It's complete 180 degree turn from last year and this probably I mean week 10 to this year. You know what I mean? It's it's I don't know what's going on up there in that organization, but they they've made some very questionable decisions and it's 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 about to start biting them. And okay, I understand you paid Gurley. I probably would have paid Gurley too, but you should know what his knee health is like because you're his team. If okay, if it if this knee thing really came up after you signed him. You know, there's nothing you could really do about it. I would still give him the ball because when he, even when he had, like, it seems like they're trying to manage it and extend him, worrying about the contract. But, like, he's still dangerous when he has the ball. And they must really be regretting the Jared Goff thing because yeah, he has yeah. not taken that step forward. I don't want to say he's taken a step back, but you would expect him to keep progressing and becoming better because he's still so young it seems like he's the same as he was last year yep and you can tell i mean even last week i mean it's just it's that east coast golf honestly it's it's i mean i hate saying it but it's it's honestly it happens every time he travels he's just not he's not the same quarterback and i mean do you do you think i mean is mcveigh do you do you think any of the play calling i mean that, that just i don't know he, he seems a little I, mean, I don't know if it's golf or him or what, but it's it's just not the same feeling as it, as it has been. Well, I think it's because now the rest of the league has caught up to him in terms of the eleven the eleven formation and that personnel group and understanding a little bit more because there's now so much more film on how he calls plays. But I think a part of it is that they were so unpredictable last year is that even if they were in the same formation, or the same personnel group for most of the game, 
you never really knew if they were going to run or pass because they did both so well out of it, and that the play action was such a big part of their their offense. But if but if they can't run the ball because you're, as you're saying the line isn't very good, and if they're not going to run the ball with Gurley effectively, then it just takes the predictability out of it, and. Like Cooper Cup is still really good, and Robert Woods is playing really well, and Cooks is always you know a deep threat. He's not really as good as people think he is, but I I just think some of it is just the team isn't as good due to injuries and just because they paid these guys so much money that they that they that they're off the line can't block in the same way and block and play action and block for Gurley. So I think there's 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 a lot of factors, and part of it too is just the league is catching up to them. Yep, I agree. So, moving on, MVP rankings. The last two quarterbacks we talked about, Golf and Trubisky, will not be on this list. But uh, who are your top three MVP rankings so far after after week? Was it week ten? Yep, I think so. Uh, I mean, you gotta. Russell Wilson's got to be up there. I, I still don't believe. I mean, I if it wasn't him, I don't think the Seattle would be. What are they eight and two now? Seven and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's played unbelievable. Uh, he's carrying that team. He's making some unbelievable plays. Third down scrambles. I mean, we saw we saw it on what was it Sunday Night Football or Monday Night last week, but. Uh, He's he's playing great. I think you gotta. I think you gotta have McCaffrey up there. I think yes. What he's done, yes. He's he's been unbelievable. He's he's my top running back this year. He's he's so just not talked about to me. But he 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 deserves so much credit. I mean, he's getting twenty twenty five touches a game. It's it's unbelievable what he's doing. I, I was I'm, I'm I'm still shocked at what how he's just coming into this league. And I mean, he's pretty much dominating. Honestly. He's 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 running on everybody and he's just so explosive and so strong too. He runs through people. It's just it's very impressive. And then I it's gotta be Lamar. Uh, I think Kelly I remember when Kelly said it uh preseason, that was like his, his MVP pick. And I, yeah. I think Lamar's right there. He's he's showing he's showing the league too that he can play. And that he's not just a running back. He, I mean, he he throws it, and that offense is just a well-oiled machine right now with Ingram, and then they got that Heisman package I saw with RG three. I think that's more just for probably for the media and for yeah. fans. But, but yeah, I, that O line is great, and it's Lamar's Lamar's playing. Yeah, I I kind of said not very nice things when Kelly predicted Lamar Jackson to win MVP, <laughs> and Kelly has turned out to be very right on that one. I think because my long shot was a. My long shot was Kirk. You like that Cousins, who is winning football games, but is not playing at an an MVP level. But I, yeah, I, 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 I took my loss too with the Eric King for the Heisman. Yeah. So I'm right there with you. So, so I I agree with you. I think Wilson is number one because he's without him, like where would Seattle be? Because he's nothing. winning yeah, games on his own. I love McCaffrey at two. He reminds me a lot of that Adrian Peterson season when Adrian Peterson won the MVP, where it's mm-hmm. all on his shoulders to win games, and they have a backup quarterback. Uh, and if the Panthers can somehow sneak into the playoffs, I don't think that they will, but if they can somehow do that, McCaffrey has to get legitimate talk for, for MVP. 
Has to. And the one guy you haven't mentioned is I know he was hurt, but I st- but when you just look at Patrick Mahomes' numbers, they're still like ridiculous. Yeah, it's 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 video games. <laughs> and just throws he makes like he's still the best quarterback in football. Like I know we're say, Wilson and Jackson and Watson are may, might be ahead of him in the MVP discussion. Mahomes is still the best. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it showed last week. I mean, he was coming off the same injury that Tua had, and it's, yeah. I mean, he he had what four hundred plus yards. I think it was. I mean, he he's still got it, and he's yeah, he, he's he's incredible talent, and. I mean, probably has the strongest arm in the league. It's just, yeah, I agree. They, they, the Chiefs need some help on defense still. They, if, if they can, if they can keep playing and, and get back to where they were last year, that they, I think he's right up there too. I mean, just just to come off a dislocated kneecap and dominate the way that he dominated last week, it's, and I, and I know that they lost because their defense can't stop a nosebleed, but <laughs> like. He's so good. It's yep. it's ridiculous. And the thing was, is, I mean, they, they were up in that game, and the defense was so bad that literally the Titans ran the ball and were yeah. able to get back in the game. Like, like that shouldn't happen. No. So, we're looking forward to a good weekend. Moving on. You got time to talk some hoops, Taylor? Yeah, for sure. All right. First, first thing that's jumped out to me, we're about 10, 11 games in for some of these teams. You know, our true loyal listeners of the Double Double will know that I was not a huge fan of Kyrie Irving. I think he's not a great teammate. I blamed pretty much everything that happened with the Celtics last year on Kyrie. And would you look at that? The Celtics are thriving without Kyrie. I think that they're now 10-1 and one, or 9-1 and one yep. without Kyrie. After dropping the first game of the season, they haven't had a loss since. And... When you read about kind of the Kyrie stuff in Brooklyn and watch them play, it's, you know, it's, I think the Celtics are happy that Kyrie moved on. Uh, yeah, I agree. The, the Celtics, I mean, yeah, like you said, they're 9-1 now. I think they've got second highest point differential in the league. They, they, they're playing some really good basketball, and I think they needed they needed the distraction out of there where it was kind of, it was just a little too much talk and glam and that's not what uh, that's just not what the Celtics are about and that's just if they get back to their basketball and Brad Stevens and how he plays and his game and just getting everybody involved it's 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 showing right now that uh, that they can play and that they're going to contend in the East I still think they're going to miss Horford as the season goes on yep. and obviously the Gordon Hayward fluke freak broken hand when he was trying to run through a screen is going to really, really hurt them. But just more so, they, they came out and made a statement at the beginning of the year of we're more than Kyrie. Everyone was right that Kyrie was was the problem. We didn't like him. And Jason Tatum is playing better. Marcus Smart's playing well. Hayward was playing well to start the year. You know, Kemba's Kemba. Like, Kemba's just a calming presence, and it's nice to see him winning – playing on a winning team for, for once. I agree. Uh, they, they look really good. I, I think they're, I think they're going to probably miss that depth. Like you said, uh, a little later in the year, but right now they, they're playing really, they're playing really, really well and playing together as a team. And that's, that's a big part. So going out to the, to the other coast, speaking of two teams that are playing together and playing really well, 
you got the the teams in, in La La Land, the Lakers and the Clippers. The Lakers are working better than I thought they would. I'm shocked, honestly. <laughs> I thought it was going to take more time to integrate all these new pieces together. I would have thought Dwight Howard would have been, you know, maybe talked about being cut already, but he, somehow Dwight Howard's playing really well. Danny Green is playing well. That's not surprising, but it's, you know, he's working in with all these guys, veterans. Contavious Caldwell-Pope hasn't been truly dreadful since the first game of the year. And maybe the most not shocking thing ever is that playing LeBron and Anthony Davis together is actually really, really dangerous for the other team and kind of unstoppable. They're, they're, uh, like you said, Dwight Howard's the one that shocks me the most. Him and yeah. Javel, I thought, have played, I mean, so far over their expectations. They, they've been tremendous. We, we, I mean, we kind of, we were, we were hoping for sure LeBron and AD would, would play well together, and they really have. And, I mean, LeBron's, what's LeBron putting up? Almost a triple-double so far, it looks like. I mean, it's, he's, I mean, 17th year, and he's still got it. And he looks even better. But, uh... Danny Green, Danny Green's been big for him this year. That was that was a big sign. Uh, but I, it, it's to me, it's McGee and and Howard. Those, those are the two two ones I am most impressed with. Well, I mean, like I like McGee, and I think that he's playing his role really well. He was yep. he was good in Golden State, obviously, and I thought he played pretty well last year. But you mentioned LeBron, like LeBron's leading the NBA in assists. I think unless that changed after last night's games, but. That's just incredible. He's he's That's basically absurd. playing point LeBron. And I still think that the big thing with his team is Anthony Davis injuries as the year goes on. And LeBron will start to coast at a certain point. And yep. how will this team do when LeBron starts to coast and Davis misses two weeks with some strained muscle and, you know, like his bicep or something? And how will that how, how will the team react to that? I think I think age and injury is their biggest concern. Yeah, and that's if they can if they can somehow find a way to get through those. I mean, get through the season without many injuries and and be right there within you know top four in in the uh, in the West, which I think they will. That then they they get a shot. Seriously, I think it'll. I think Clippers will probably end up you know winning the West just because they got too many shooters and too much defense, but. Uh, uh, I'm very impressed with what the Lakers have done so far. And now, speaking of the Clippers, they are now at full strength. You have, obviously, you have Kawhi. Paul George is back now. I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he's now back. Mm-hmm. I think he played last night. Yeah, uh, they're now at full strength, and this is when I really wanted to start judging the Clippers because, yes, you could talk about the how good they look in those first part of the season without Paul George, but in the biggest games of the year, they're going to need Kawhi and Paul George together. <laughs> And how they play off everyone else. Their depth is crazy. It's so good. It's not Warriors-esque from that first two years, but it's pretty close. With you have like Lou Williams and Pat Beverly and Montrez Harrell. You got all these guys who can play basketball at a really, really high level. I think they still have Landry Shamit. Like they're just really good. And they're they're. Their defense is just incredible. They got so many good defensive players on their team, and as well as just the shooting. I mean, Shamit, Shamit shooting well. Paul George put up thirty three and nine last night. Yeah. I mean, they like he's just 
just let them once they get get all synced together they're, they're going to be another another machine that it's going to be tough to tough to take down and sure. if and as long as they can handle all the scrutiny over the load management for Kawhi, because toronto yes. did that really well because i think the management can deal with it but i think it's just the other players as long as they're okay with the fact that Kawhi has to do this for his body for like the load management that as long as the other players don't start resenting him and causing and how it causes cause issues because they're saying oh I'm killing myself to play 82 games and this guy gets to take off back to backs and stuff as long as that doesn't cause any friction or tension in the locker room I agree that this this Clippers team is a lock for the second round of the Western Conference playoffs and has a very good chance to make the finals yeah, I, I completely agree. They, uh, as long as they just keep, I mean, kind of like football, as long as they keep doing their job and, like you said, just don't let the distractions get to them because it's not, LA's a little little, little different than Toronto. You know, that, that kind of, there's a little, little more beat riders and they'll, they'll definitely be writing more about Kawhi sitting and stuff like that. But as long as they kind of just focus on them and just put out all those outside distractions, they, they got a really good squad and a, a chance to, chance to uh do something special so any big shocks for you from from the season mine is what happened last night biggest shock was that carmel anthony got signed uh that was that was crazy <laughs> you got that update uh, that football game. i think that that was a, a surprising signing uh i don't think he'll help portland that much uh he'll help them take a lot of more long twos with mccollum yep. <laughs> uh, he won't help defensively, and he'll help score the ball. But the Blazers, like they needed someone, and all their forwards are hurt, and he's the best power forward available. Yep, they 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 had to do something, and uh, I still I still think they're they're going to be uh, probably shipping Whiteside sometime this year, if not before the deadline. They they need to they need to make a big move because I mean they were I mean they were in the what Western Conference Finals last year? Yeah. So uh, they 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 need to make a make a move for for either uh, K Love or you know Blake Griffin and Tristan Thompson. So somebody needs to somebody needs to come, and I, I think I think they'll be making some moves later in the year for sure. Well, everyone has said like for years, you know, except last year, the second half of the season, everyone's been like, oh, they should just blow it up. Like clearly, this isn't working. But because they made the Western Conference Finals last year. We're now talking about who should they add instead of saying where should these guys go, which I think is really exactly. interesting. Yep. And, I, and I guess the, the biggest shock, one of the biggest shocks for me, Miami looks really, really good. I was going to say that they, Tyler Hero can play, and then they, they, their whole squad around uh, Jimmy Butler's been great, uh, Winslow, they, just, they, 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 they look good. Uh, I think they're they're they're, they're they're definitely going to make the playoffs, I think. Friend of the podcast, Duncan Robinson's been playing really, really well, too. Yep. They're just Saw like, Duncan last night, and I watched that Cavs-Miami game. <laughs> yep. They're, they're just, as you mentioned with the Celtics, they're just a team. They play together. They move the ball. They play good defense. Like Then they're developing players. They develop Duncan, Tyler Harrow, Kendrick Nunn. Like, they're just, it's a, they're not, a, obviously they signed Jimmy, but... They're not going out and plucking these guys for max max contracts. Like it's not LeBron, Wade, and Bosch anymore. It's more homegrown, which I think is really interesting. Yep. Uh, Kendrick Nunn too. He's been he's been great. I yeah. think he was a what a, a Warriors G League player last year or something. But I mean, uh, they they they're uh, 
they're talent for sure. They they they've got some got some good young players that that, that I mean I'd love to build around. Bam Bam's been great. And Luka Doncic is making the leap. He is so good that he, the, just the way that he moves on the court, he, you can't speed him up. He plays the game at his pace, and that's rare for a second-year player to be able to just to dominate the speed and the flow of the game the way the way he can. Yeah, he, he looked good last night. I think he had 15 in the third quarter. I mean, he, he, was, he was balling out last night, and uh, I think he's says he's second behind LeBron in the sit this year at nine point three, and he's just he's the real deal. And I, they uh, the Mavs, Mavs made a really good pick there because I mean he, he's he's showing it that he's I mean he's a potential MVP for sure. And Taylor, anything else you wanna you wanna add before we uh before we wrap it up? Uh, I don't think so. Thank you again for having me on and. Can't wait to watch these these uh, football games this weekend. Of course, can't wait either. And Taylor, thank you so much for coming on. And everyone listening, take care and make it a great day. <laughs>